want to invite you to open up God's Word with me to Genesis chapter 19 as we look at the living, penetrating, authoritative, timeless Word of God. And this morning we're going to be looking at truths that are so important for us as people of God and so important that we understand and begin to live out and apply in in our time. I'm going to be reading the entire chapter. It's somewhat of a lengthy chapter, but it is a gripping chapter filled with shocking details and stories, but a chapter that nonetheless speaks incredible truths that we need to know and that we need to live by as people who claim that this book is God's word for us, that it is uh, authoritative, that it is useful, that it is instructive, and that it applies to our lives today. So let me invite you to look with me at Genesis chapter 19. I'll read uh, this chapter and then we'll have opportunity to, to hear about the truths of this chapter from somewhat of a unique perspective. But Genesis chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, God's word reads this way. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Picking up on where we left off last week, these two angelic messengers who were disguised as men show up in Sodom. These are two of the three that showed up at Abraham's tent, and Abraham had an elaborate meal with them and recognized that the Lord had shown up in order to declare the promised son that would come, Isaac, and also warned Abraham of the destruction that he was planning to carry out on the wicked city of Sodom. And Abraham interceded on behalf of the righteous in Sodom. And now these messengers have gone to Sodom and Lot has recognized them. He's gone out to greet them. He's invited them as visitors to his home to share a meal with him. Verse 4, we pick up the story. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you, get them out of here. Because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Verse 14, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. 
But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back. And don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request to I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land and the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back And she became a pillar of salt. Verse 27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. So these two men show up. Angels show up in Sodom. Lot takes them in. Men of the city surround his house and express their desire to have their way with these men, to rape these men. Lot offers them his daughters instead and attempts to protect these men. Ultimately, does not satisfy these men to the point that the angels have to intervene, strike them with blindness, and then announce their intention to destroy this city for its immorality, for its wickedness. Telling Lot, gather together his family and get out of this place because destruction is coming. Lot hesitates. Ultimately, the angels grab him and his immediate family, lead them out of the city. The city is destroyed along with other cities in that plain. Lot flees to a nearby city that was promised to spare, to flee. And we have this window at the end of the chapter where we read about Abraham. The only place Abraham is mentioned in this chapter where... We're told that the Lord remembered Abraham, remembered the prayers of Abraham when Abraham had interceded on behalf of the righteous in this city and spared Lot. Ultimately, he just spared Lot and his two daughters. Now I want to finish the chapter, this little story that ends the chapter that is connected to what's happening here before we then think about the truths of this chapter. Verse 30, Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and Settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night, I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight. And you go in and sleep with him so that we can preserve our family line through our father. They got their father to drink wine that night also. And the younger daughter went in and slept with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. 
Verse 36, so both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son. She named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. This is my story. I remember these events like it was yesterday. I remember seeing those men come into my city, thinking they were just ordinary men, needing a place to stay, not knowing that they were messengers from God who had appeared to my uncle Abraham just, just some time before, announcing their intent on coming to investigate my city because of the wickedness that had reached God's ear. Oh, I thought I was doing the right thing, welcoming these men in, offering protection to them, but it turned out I did many, many wrong things. And I'm here this morning because I want to caution you against making the same mistakes that I made, against making the same errors that I made in in my day as I lived in Sodom this morning. Now, I want to tell you to run from Sodom and toward God, for God's judgment is coming on the world. Run from Sodom and toward God, for God's judgment is coming on the world. And I know what, what you may be thinking. You may be thinking, how in the world can I run from Sodom? Sodom is no more. After all, we read in Genesis chapter 19, my story, uh, verse 24, that the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. And in one sense, you are absolutely correct. In fact, scholars and archaeologists debate today where Sodom and Gomorrah were located. Because when a city's annihilated, it's somewhat difficult to find. I mean, when the Lord said He's, he's going to wipe out a city, He really wipes it out. But in another sense, separate sense, the immorality and the wickedness and the sinfulness of Sodom are prevalent today. Sodom's legacy remains. Its influence remains in the world. In fact, I've been observing your culture. In fact, I must caution you, I've seen many similarities between my city and your city, between my culture and your culture. And I'm not saying that the Lord is going to do to your city, to your home, what He did to mine, but I do know based off my own experience and the Word of God that God will destroy the world because of its wickedness. God will destroy the world because of its wickedness. What happened in my day was very similar to what we read happened in Noah's day. You've heard about Noah, right? That great, righteous man mentioned in God's Word. It was almost as if when the angels showed up, it was too late. I know, of course I know, based off the Word of God, if if those in my city would have repented, God would have relented, just like He did with Nineveh in Jonah's day. But the reality is, there was no sign of that happening in Sodom. Nobody cared about 
God's boundaries or what God said. In fact, men were sleeping with anyone and everyone. It was just like it was during the days of the judges when everyone did what was right in, in their own eyes. They were gravitating toward anything novel, anything different. They lusted after anyone and everyone. When guests showed up, visitors to our city who should have been shown great hospitality, even they were not immune to the cravings and desires and wishes of those in my city. In fact, the legacy of my city is a word that you're perhaps very familiar with, sodomy. Known for Practicing unnatural relations between a man and another man or unnatural relations between a woman and another woman. And I have to be honest with you, I've been paying attention to the news during my stay here in your place. I've noticed that this practice is getting a lot of attention lately, particularly through the LGBT movement. I want to say that I want to caution us. I want to warn you based off my experience that the impact of those that promote this agenda, though they are not after anything so violent as what I witnessed in my day and in my city, the natural consequences and impact of the celebrating and the embracing and the champion championing of homosexual practice will be absolutely devastating in your culture as well. Because the reality is just like in my day, the, the end goal for, for many is not simply the acceptance of homosexual practice, but the end goal is sexual Liberation. Sexual freedom. Please, please let me warn you. Don't be so naive as to think that that when we begin redefining marriage and morality as if creatures can really redefine what God has already defined, we enter down a slippery slope. Immorality is embraced. One sin leads to another, to another, as we begin to subvert the very word of God. And if you don't believe me, let me invite you just to look at my life. Look at my life. Oh, I'm so ashamed to even share with you what took place in my life, but you've already read my story. You know what took place. in a moment of desperation, an attempt to protect these strangers, these visitors who had shown up at my house, I did something so despicable as to offer, offer these men, my own virgin daughters. Praise the Lord. That's not what they were after. But I know, I know that it is only by the grace of God that that I had not fallen into the same practice as my neighbors. 
And for this reason, I can't look down on them. And neither can you. And as I look back, I was deceived. I was deceived by the prevailing ideas and standards of my day. Let me caution you. Let me warn you. Don't be deceived by the prevailing cultural winds of today. Don't be deceived by the prevailing cultural winds of today. The LGBT agenda and movement and activists readily deny and twist and ridicule the fundamental truth source of morality and God's standards. And I'm shocked as I've witnessed and heard church leaders and pastors and theologians who are charged with proclaiming the truths of this book, completed written word of God, part of their calling to be faithful to what's found in His word, denying what is found in His word, twisting what is found in His word. And I'll be honest, if you all know this, during my day, the completed written word of God was not yet compiled. It wasn't around. It didn't have the same luxury that you do, but But since then, I have read this book cover to cover. And I'll be the first to admit that there are areas in in this book, in God's Word, that are somewhat difficult to understand and to interpret and to know how to apply to our own lives. But let's be honest. God's design for marriage and sexuality is not one of those gray areas in His Word. So let's let's not make it one. God's word is clear here. And forgive me for making my story all about sexual immorality. For I could go on and describe to you and tell you about many other wicked practices that were associated with my day. But I can't help but seeing so many parallels between my day and your day. I want to speak to the things that I see that are most affecting you. Cultural winds and feelings and Values change. We know this. You can look at history and see this. But the prophet Isaiah was right when he said, The word of our God endures forever. God's word is timeless. And you and I, as people of faith, as followers of Jesus Christ, must stand upon the truths of God's Word. And another way that we do this is to warn the world of God's coming judgment. Warn the world of God's coming judgment. Again, let me, let me caution you because just as I wasn't received well when I did speak the truth, the few times that I spoke up for the truths of God, you'll be looked down upon as well. I was laughed at. I was called a judge. And no doubt, if you stand upon the truths of God's word, if you proclaim the truths of God's word, and certainly do so in love, then you will be labeled judgmental as well. Perhaps there'll come a day when if you proclaim the truths that are found in God's word, that what you say will be declared as hate speech. And perhaps 
presses, charges will be pressed against you. But be encouraged because the word of God in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 tells us it is good, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And after all, the most unloving thing that we could do is fail to speak the truth. The most loving thing that we could do as believers in the truths that are found in God's word is to proclaim the truth, to share the truth, to challenge the world with the truth. It is unloving, irresponsible, selfish to hide the truth, to deny the truth. I was laughed at by my own sons-in-law when I told them that God's judgment was coming, that that he was going to destroy our city. Perhaps that's because I wasn't speaking the truth in love. Paul later commands us. Perhaps that's because I was speaking the truth in moments, but I wasn't living the truth. To speak the truth, but to fail to live the truth is to be a hypocrite. I was a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. And that brings me to the next truth that God taught me from my Sodom experience. And it is this. Though, though the world's influence is alluring, it is repulsive to God. Though the world's influence is alluring, it is repulsive to God. Once again, being totally transparent. I'm not going to lie to you. I was attracted to what was happening in Sodom. There were some Fun things, some enjoyable things taking place in Sodom in my day. And as you probably know, with many sins, especially perhaps immorality, the more and more we're exposed to it, we sort of develop a numbness to it. I'm told that pornography is one of those issues in, in your day. Things that were totally convicting and shocking at first, become commonplace over time. Did you notice how the men in my city made no pretense about their actions, no pretense about their intentions? It was no secret. They showed up and knocked on the door. Where are the men? We want to have relations with them. I wish that I, wish that I was remembered for fleeing from Sodom. The reality is, that's not my legacy. That's not what I'm remembered for. But based off my experience, let me encourage you. Let me prod you to flee from immorality. Flee from immorality. Run from immorality. Sodom had stained me. It corrupted me. To the point that I lingered there. I was hesitant to leave. There was a part of me that wanted to cling to my home. To stay there. To the point that even when the angel said, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. I hesitated, and the angels grabbed me, pulled me out of that place, only by the grace of God, only by the mercy of God my standing before you today. Run from Sodom and toward God. For nothing satisfies like walking by faith in the God of Scripture.
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, flee immorality. Flee sexual immorality. And the reason he gives is because as Christians, as followers of Jesus, you were bought at a price. Your, your body is no longer your own. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. And for this reason, honor God with your body. So what does this mean for, for those in your culture? Well, I think it means when everyone else is going to movies that celebrate and promote and portray sex outside of marriage, then, then you stay home. Parents, when I think it means that you monitor what your children and your youth are, are watching and searching and doing. I think it also means when we hear others criticizing heterosexual monogamous relationships as boring and And we say, wait a minute, no, they're not. For God's design for marriage and relationships is best for God, the author of all life, the creator of mankind, the creator of marriage, the creator of relationships, the creator of intimacy, the creator of fellowship, knows what is best. And we're on a business trip and tempted to... Purchase an immoral video. That means we get out of the room. Late at night when we're surfing the internet with no accountability, then it means we turn it off. And others are speaking against God's design. Then we speak the truth and we speak it in love. Paul also wrote to Christians saying among Christians, they're must not even be a hint of immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, for these are improper for God's holy people. This is what he meant when he said in Ephesians chapter 4 that as believers you must put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on your new self, which is being created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. We must flee for immorality and when we see other believers, others claiming to follow God and to know God and to believe in the God of Scripture, then we must confront them. We must confront the distracted believer. Confront the distracted believer. I was a distracted believer. I'm afraid that if I had lived in the first Century, then I would have been categorized with those so-called Christians in Laodicea, book of Revelation, that were described as lukewarm, torn between the things of God and the things of this world. And though I certainly didn't want it at the time, and I'm sure that oftentimes, if you find yourself in any sort of situation like mine, you don't want it either. But looking back, oh, how I wish... Someone would have come alongside me, grabbed me, and kicked my rear into running after God. Run from Sodom and toward God, for God's judgment is coming on the world. I know we don't have much time left. In fact, I've got to be somewhere in just a few moments. But I want to share just a couple other truths that I learned with you from my Sodom experience. The next truth is this, that God will remember the righteous when he destroys the world. God will remember the righteous 
when he destroys the world. Once again, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if God spared me because I was more righteous than the Sodomites or if God simply spared me because he heard my uncle Abraham's prayer as a man of God who was walking by faith in God. I don't know. All I know is that I was only spared because of the mercy of God. And God is deserving of great thanks for His mercy. So thank God for His mercy. Thank God for His mercy. The reality, according to God's Word, is that He is a righteous judge and a day is coming on which He will judge the world. He will judge the world for its wickedness, for its sinfulness, for its unrighteousness, for its failure to live up to His perfect standard. And the good news is that when He does, He will spare those who are considered righteous. And the truth is that that no one will be considered righteous for something he or she did or didn't do in this life. No one will stand before God righteous because they never lusted after another. Because they never had an immoral thought or never engaged in an immoral activity. The only reason that anyone will stand right before God is because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. Taking the penalty for sin that you and I and the rest of the world deserve. And those who live by faith in that one are declared righteous before God. Right in the eyes of God. Have you been declared righteous before God? If not, then run from Sodom and after Jesus Christ for salvation. If so, thank God for His mercy. I want to conclude by telling you the final truth that I learned during my time in Sodom. And I have to be honest with you again. I am absolutely and utterly embarrassed that this portion of my story found its way into God's eternal word. But I know, I know that God has used it and is using it and will continue to use it to instruct and to encourage people like you as you seek to walk with God in a world that doesn't always recognize God. But the truth that that I learned from what you read about in Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 and following is that a culture of immorality corrupts its comfortable inhabitants. A culture of immorality corrupts its comfortable inhabitants, comfortable citizens. The truth is that I was stained by Sodom. And not only was I stained by Sodom, but my two daughters. The only other immediate family that was spared was also stained, tainted by the practices of Sodom. So much so that we engaged in another type of immorality, incest. It ultimately led to two boys, Moab and Ben-Ami, who were perpetual enemies of Abraham's descendants as the people of God. So I want to caution you as I draw to a close not to get too comfortable in Sodom. 
Don't live as a citizen of Sodom. Rather, live as a citizen of Christ's kingdom. Live as a citizen of Christ's kingdom. Kingdom. After all, if you are a follower of Christ, then that is what you are. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. God's word reads this way. As for you, speaking to Christians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Get this, verse 3. All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Verse 4, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Skipping down, same chapter, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer Foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Meadowbrook Baptist Church, run from Sodom and toward God. For God's judgment is coming on the world. And praise God from whom all blessings flow. Those who know Christ, believers in Christ, People of faith in Christ are citizens of His kingdom. This world is not our home. And we are members of His household. And we look forward to the day of His return. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come to share with you this morning about my experience in Sodom. Allow me to pray for you as I close. Father, God, I am so grateful for your grace and your mercy, Lord. I thank you for your provision. I thank you that in your grand design, you saw a way, you planned a way, you devised a way, and you carried out a way to to justly punish sin, but at the same time to, to justify those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that for all of those With faith in Jesus, by your grace, you have declared us righteous. You have declared us innocent, guiltless before you. Lord, I pray that we would forever live in light of the truths of your word. Live in light of the truths of the gospel. Give us strength as we seek to live for you today and always. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen.